Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today, Andy Steiger will be continuing his series called Thinking, Answering Life's Five Biggest Questions. Today, Andy and Dr. Newfeld will be tackling the question, does God exist? Let's join them now. I remember leaving home for college. Maybe some of you remember that day as well. It's one of those moments that you just don't forget. I remember packing up all of my possessions and and going through what was going to stay at home and what was going to come with me. And I also began to realize not only was I packing up my possessions, I was also packing up beliefs. Which beliefs that my parents had had taught me or given me was I going to keep or would I leave? When you get to college, you'll quickly realize which ones you've brought with you when Sunday morning rolls around, and you realize that no one's kicking you out of bed and forcing you to go off to church. And I remember being a college student, you know, waking up on Sunday morning thinking to myself, am I going to go to church today or not? Quite quickly, my beliefs began to uh, work themselves out. You know, what actually did I believe? This is actually one of the reasons why I got into apologetics. While I was completing my master's degree at Biola University, I was planning on heading off into the missions field. I wanted to serve God in one of those remote countries. But while I was looking through which mission field I would head off to, I went to a conference in which Lee Strobels was speaking, and he said something that caught my attention and would ultimately redirect my life. He talked about how the church was currently losing between 60 to 90 percent of our young people that were heading off to college. And I began to wonder, was he exaggerating? Is that really the case? And then particularly in my context, I was heading back to Canada, and I wondered, were things that bad in Canada? A report actually came out recently called Hemorrhaging Faith that indicated that things are similar to what's going on in the U.S. We lose a lot of our young people. And I began to look into this question and ask, why are we losing so many young people? Why are they abandoning their faith? This would ultimately lead to me starting Apologetics Canada, seeking to help churches address the questions that our young people are dealing with across Canada so that they could be strong in their faith. What I began to realize is that our young people are bombarded by questions. They are constantly being challenged in their beliefs. And the one that stands out is this question, does God exist? This is really a foundational question. And what I've noticed as I began to address this question with young people, as I began to address this question in churches, and that there is a number of myths that really stop us from even engaging with this question. We have so much cultural baggage that keeps us from clearly seeing this question that we first need to deal with these myths before we can even begin to answer this question. So let's do that. Let's take a look at these three myths. The first one is this. It's called the conflict thesis. Now, the conflict thesis is this idea that people in the past, particularly religion and science, have been and are fighting. Now, it's very rare that we can point back in history and go, hey, look, these guys did it. But in this case, you can actually do that. In the 1800s, two guys, John Draper and Andrew White, quite literally made up the warfare thesis. Now, at the time, people knew that they had made this up. For example, James Walsh, who was a contemporary of White, wrote in 1908, he said that Dr. White's book contradicted as it is so directly by all serious histories of medicine and of science should have been read by so many thousands in this country only shows how easy even supposedly educated men may be led to follow their prejudices 
rather than their mental faculties. Now, I think that this is a key statement. Oftentimes, when we hear things that sound the way we want them to be, we're quick to adopt them, even though, in this case, it's not even true. For example, not only did Draper and White make up this idea that religion and science have been in our fighting, they also made up other ideas to go along with this, such as the idea that people in the past thought that the world was flat. I hope that this doesn't surprise you, but people in the past didn't think that the world was flat. In fact, the Greeks calculated the circumference of the earth to a high degree 500 years before Christ. We have paintings from the 1500s, I think of Raphael's The School of Athens, in which he's painting people of antiquity and they're holding globes. We've known for a very long time that the world is round. But again, it's so easy to get caught up in that idea that you want to be true, that these religious people believed all these crazy things in the past. And often what you'll hear is this idea that religious people don't do good science. They just believe all these crazy myths. But this couldn't be farther from the case. What we see when we begin to analyze, for example, Nobel Prize winners from the last hundred years, and particularly from 1901 to 2000, We see this. We see that Christians won 74% of the prizes in chemistry, 65% of the prizes in physics, and 64% of the prizes in medicine. Now, if we were to put that in contrast to atheists, agnostics, and free thinkers, if we put them all into one group, they won in comparison 7% of the prizes in chemistry, 4% of the prizes in physics, and 8% of the prizes in medicine. Now, I'm not saying that because I want you to think that Christians are smart and atheists are dumb. That's definitely not the case. But this idea that Christians can't or don't do good science is a myth that we need to get rid of. This was also highlighted on the University of Berkeley's website. They did a series of misconceptions, and one of them was that scientists are atheists. They began to correct this, and they shared a 2005 survey of scientists at top research universities, and they found that more than 48% of them had a religious affiliation, and that more than 75% believed that religions conveyed important truths. Some scientists are not religious, but many others subscribe to a specific faith and or believe in higher powers. It's important to understand that Christians have done and continue to do great science. But this leads into our second myth, and that's the myth of blind faith. This is a recent invention into Christianity. The truth is is that Christianity has a robust intellectual tradition of deep thinkers. And the irony is is that science came from the Judeo-Christian worldview. Specifically, Christians have some ideas, theological ideas, that led to the birth of science. That is, that one God exists and that this one God created everything and that this God can be trusted. He's not trying to trick you. Now, this is distinct from the Greek gods in which there were lots of them that created many different things, and they were trying to trick you. You couldn't trust them. In comparison, Christianity held that God could be trusted, that he created your five senses in a way that you could study the natural world and come back with reliable answers. Now, this is significant because Christians believe that God wrote two books, not one. 
He wrote the book of his words, the Bible, and the book of his works, nature. Now, I'm not saying that these things are the same book. It's not like we have 67 books of the Bible. We have 66 books of the Bible, and these are distinct from nature. But in both of these, Christians have sought to study God's word in an effort to know him more, knowing that in doing so, they can learn more about who God is. In the same way, Christians have studied nature, knowing that the deeper they go into nature, they can know more about who God is, who this creator is. So for Christians, studying nature has been an act of worship. Science is an act of worship. And it shouldn't surprise us that the early fathers of science, Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, Newton, all of them believed in God and would have identified as Christians. We need to do a better job as the church to help our people understand that rich history that we have and to encourage our young people to go into the sciences as an act of worship. You know, Johannes Kepler said famously that science was an attempt to, quote, think God's thoughts after him. Now, here's the third myth that we need to address. It's this idea that science is seen and is often played off of the idea that faith is blind but science is where the cold, hard facts are. The truth is, though, that faith plays a fundamental role in everything, including science. See, one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is, what good reason do I have to trust under a scientific worldview without God that my five senses can be trusted, that they've been made and adapted in such a way that they can correctly understand reality? The truth is we don't have that kind of proof. In fact, we don't have 100% proof of anything in this life. This is particularly interesting when you think about the reality that we don't have 100% proof that God exists. But you don't have 100% proof that God doesn't exist. I mean, if you just stop and think about it for a moment, what would it take to prove something with 100% certainty? What we began to realize is that this just isn't possible. That's why our legal system works off of beyond all reasonable doubt. So what we look for then, and this is, this is the way that I define faith, faith is trusting what you have good reason to believe is true. And this is the biblical idea of faith. Faith is this idea of trusting. Now you place your trust into things that you have good reason to place your trust into. This is not a blind faith. It's not a wishful thinking faith. It is a thoughtful faith. We'll return with more from Andy and Dr. John in just a moment. You know, the next generation has serious questions about life and faith. Maybe you've heard a son, a friend, or a granddaughter ask a few. That's why we have an entire ministry dedicated to answering questions that demand answers, and that's in doubt. With a weekly podcast that dives into the toughest of topics, articles that engage life, and videos that encourage biblical living, In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada that empowers young adults across this nation with God's truth. Coming in the new year, In Doubt is releasing a new five-week film series digging into the book of Jude called Jude for the Faith. For individual and small group use, it encourages young Christians to fight for the one true faith in a dark world. To find out more about In Doubt or to donate or invest in this important ministry, go to indoubt.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go to a very special segment with Andy Steiger and Dr. John Newfeld. 
Hi, Dr. John Newfeld here. We're going to change things up just a little bit in the second half of this program. I've got Andy Steiger in studio, and we're going to talk about some of the things that he's been talking about, and specifically in relationship to the existence of God. So, Andy, it's just been interesting to listen to you talk about how many scientists in the past uh, actually held to some form of faith. I mean, they, they weren't all evangelical believers, but they were actually theists. That is, they believed in the existence of God. Is that surprising when you talk to various audiences throughout the country? Are they surprised to hear that? They are. And I think that the reason is because a lot of these myths have been and continue to be perpetuated throughout our culture. For example, my son came home from school just recently. He's in grade three. And in his textbook, you see a diagram of a flat earth with people in ships sinking over it. And this idea that people in the past, you know, religious people taught that the world was flat. So these are ideas that are, are continue. They, they're still in our culture today. They haven't gone away. So the idea of a flat earth uh, is put together with the Christian faith because there were certain people at certain times in the past who actually held that, and so it's given to be the religious point of view as opposed to the scientific point of view. The, interestingly, you might find a few people in the past that would have thought that, but this would have never been taught as like church doctrine or something like that. These would just be a few crazy people in the past that would have thought that. So was Galileo a believer? As like, was he a Christian? Uh-huh. You know, those are hard questions to answer when you look at, you know, would they have identified as Christians? Yes, they would have identified as Christians. But, you know, some of them, I think of Newton as well. He would have identified as a Christian. But when you read back through what he thought, I mean, some of them would have had some interesting doctrines for sure. Uh, I think from what I've read of Galileo, I mean, I, I don't I can't I don't know of any weird doctrines that he would have had. No, in fact, I, the reason I asked the question, Andy, is because uh, I, I have read a book some time ago called The Galileo Factor, in which the author makes the, the point that Galileo actually checked his theories with the church themselves, and they saw no difficulty whatsoever. Oh, but it were the people in the universities that had the problems because they had been teaching in a given manner, and they'd be losing their jobs. So it was really a much more of an economic factor and, a, and a, what was happening in the universities than what was actually happening in the church. A lot of people are surprised to hear that, by the way, because we paint such a, a one-sided view of history that you start to read about Galileo and you start to go, oh, this was much more nuanced than I thought it was. There was a lot more uh, at play than just some sort of science religion fight that's going on. But the problem is, is that people just don't like the, the, the real history. You know, this, this might surprise some of our listeners, but if you were to do a quick Google search of the warfare thesis, no historian today believes that the warfare thesis is true, that science and religion were in conflict, are in conflict, uh, it, that it is just, it was a myth, but yet it's still with us to this day. Yeah, and a lot of school teachers are, um, school children are being taught that very thing, as you've just mentioned. So let's talk about some of the proofs that you give for the existence of God. You speak to people, and they'll say, help me to understand why should I believe that God exists? So what are some of the main proofs that you would give? Well, the first thing that I would share with people is a mistake that I used to make in the past, and that, that is that I thought there were, the, were these silver bullet arguments, that if I could just articulate belief in God in just a certain way, everyone would believe. 
And I began to realize that that's just not the case. And then, in fact, that's not even how faith works. Faith, as I was saying, is trusting what you have good reason to believe is true. So that when we're talking about God's existence and we want to give reasons why we believe in God, we're not giving reasons why we, you know, that 100% God exists. We're giving reason, good reasons why God exists. And then what you have is a cumulative case where there's lots of things that come together that give you good reason to believe God exists. So one of those that I share is called the Kalam cosmological argument. This is an old argument that Christians have used for a long time called the cosmological argument. And it's basically just asking, where did everything come from? Does, does the universe, uh, did, it, did it just come into being? For example, uh, Aristotle thought that the universe just was eternal. But about 100 years ago, a priest physician by the name of George Lemaitre saw that the universe is expanding. And we began to realize that if the universe is expanding, it means that if you rewound the cosmic tape, if you will, that the universe would be contracting. And ultimately, you see that the universe has a beginning. Now, atheists at first didn't like this idea, and they coined, Fred Hoyle in particular, coined this idea of the Big Bang. And the reason he coined this is because his frustration was if the universe had a beginning, then that says that the universe must have a cause. You know, what created the universe? Why did it begin to exist? What exploded it into being? Well, this sounds a lot like Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the idea, Andy, that there is something rather than nothing, and that the something that we have surely seems to have a point of beginning, that matter is not eternal, is, is a part of what we have. To what extent, as you talk to individuals, does this idea that the knowledge of God seems to be innate in all human beings, that and we all have it? I had a conversation some time ago with a person who came out of China who was taught an official atheist-sanctioned uh, school system in which when I mentioned to him that we believe there is a God, he said, I always thought so from childhood, and I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. This is something that we've seen through a lot of research has been done. There's a book actually called Born Believers, and in it, it talks about how children are born with a natural belief in God. And in fact, atheism is an unnatural belief. And I think even as I've talked with my own kids, it just seems to be intuitive that we understand that, that this all came from something, that this just didn't happen to, to come into being. And particularly when you see just how orderly everything is, you immediately and intuitively see design into everything. And this, for a child, is just a no-brainer. It was the same thing for me. I, I've always believed that God existed. Now, I didn't know who this God was when I was younger, and I didn't know if I wanted to know who this God was, but that was, that was different to me. I've never doubted whether or not God actually exists. So God has put eternity into our hearts, and that by nature, human beings are created so that we might relate to the God who created us. That's just a natural function of all human beings. Secondly, we look at the order and design of the universe, and that tells us something about the nature of God. Uh, is there anything else that we might point to that would help people to come to terms with a sense of certainty? This is what I—one of the things that's been significant to me is the very fact that we can even have this discussion and that we are even thinking about these things to begin with. This is the order of design that really is mind-boggling. Not only do we find ourselves in a universe that's finely tuned, but we find that in us that we are finely tuned. DNA is a code that's over 3 billion letters long. 
A DNA molecule is only two nanometers across. And a human hair, though, is 100,000 nanometers across. Just to give you some idea of how much information is packed so small. In fact, it was calculated that a single teaspoon could hold one strand of DNA from every species that's ever existed and still have room for the information for every book that's ever been written. That's fascinating. A college student might find this interesting, that if you were to take the human instruction manual, it would be 100,000 pages, single space, 12-point font. But the reason me sharing all of this is that we understand that we're more than just amino acids and proteins. This is one of the challenges that we find in a secular culture in which everything is just about physicalism or materialism, naturalism, this idea that the, that the universe is a closed universe, that there is nothing beyond this universe. There's nothing beyond the physical. So that everything has to then be boiled down. We call this reductionism. Everything has to be reduced to just the physical. And what we find then is we live in a culture that that's all they see themselves as. It's just a bunch of amino acids and proteins. But we're asking the question, I mean, how can we even then have this question where we're able to think and ask and look into reasons that God exists and that we even exist? I think that too many people just take these kind of things for granted, that we are a living being that are able to think about God's existence and are able to not only have some factual knowledge about God, but that we're actually able to experience God. Now, every once in a while, we have individuals who did believe in God for some time, but they no longer do. Now, to what extent do you think things like disappointment with God, uh, anger with God over certain things actually creates atheism within us? I think that this is the most difficult question that we wrestle with. I, I, most people that I talk to is, over the years, as I've done different coffee shops, I've spoken in prisons, conferences, schools, college, you know, universities. And what I find repeatedly is that the deeper I get to know somebody, the more questions that I ask of them, that their atheism really isn't atheism. They actually do believe that God exists. They just aren't happy with God or they don't like him. Uh, a lot of people uh, I've experienced a level of rebellion with God, particularly with the question of suffering and evil. It's interesting, too, isn't it, that how often I was listening to a professor just recently. His name's Dr. Alex Rosenberg. He's the head of philosophy at Duke University. And he began to explain that he doesn't believe in God because there's too much suffering and evil in the world. He's just morally outraged because of things like the Holocaust. But you have to ask yourself, I mean, you know, because I'm sure that you've even encountered this yourself, where people tell you that they don't believe in God because they're just angry with God, to which you wonder, you know, do they understand the conflict that's going on even within themselves? Thank you, Andy. What a great conversation. The existence of God, our relationship to Him, the God who truly exists, and what He demands of us. Thanks so much, Andy and Dr. John. And don't forget to return tomorrow with Back to the Bible Canada with a message entitled, Do All Religions Lead to God? And then a special Q&A with Andy and Dr. Newfeld. All right here on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.
Coming this new year on the last weekend of January is Canada's largest Christian event that convicts and encourages thousands each year, Break Forth Canada 2017 in Edmonton, Alberta. With an important event like this, we at Back to the Bible Canada are honored to attend as Dr. John Newfeld leads four pre-conference workshops and two electives during the main conference. Throughout the entire weekend, we'll be there to answer any questions you may have regarding our Bible teaching ministry, our young adult ministry called In Doubt, or our Laugh Again ministry with Phil Calloway. We'd count it a privilege to be able to meet you. To find out more information on how to come to Break Forth Canada 2017 and to meet us at Back to the Bible Canada in person, visit the events page at backtothebible.ca. That's backtothebible.ca.